back at a camera again, um, but I'll explain why here shortly. I just want to welcome you to Westside. So glad that you guys are where you are, uh, being able to fellowship with one another, taking communion with one another, singing, and all the other elements that we have. Uh, and also say hi to all of our people that are online. Uh, don't do that near enough, but uh, glad that you guys join us each week as well. We are going to be in Luke chapter 8, if you want to take your Bibles and turn there with me, uh, Luke chapter 8. I want to talk to you about fear, but here's the thing. Uh, There is nothing worse than hopelessness, and fear is the vehicle that takes you to that destination of hopelessness. Uh, Fear is the the vehicle the enemy uses. Fear is like the the uber... uh, a car that no one wants to find themselves in. And the problem is, is that when you are in it and you figure out that you are in this vehicle of fear, then it's like it's too late because you're, you're there, right? Um, I had this vision on Tuesday morning. It was like 5.30 in the morning uh, that I had this vision. And I want to share it with you because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about. So in my vision, there's this lady. She's standing at a a curb uh, alongside the street, and you could tell that she just has this sense of uh, worry and just uneasiness about her spirit. And then a car pulls up. It's an Uber car, and she gets in this car, and then they drive off. I don't know any of the details, you know, that's leading up. I don't know what brought her to the curb. I don't know where she's heading or any of those kinds of things. It's just, I just know what's kind of unfolding right before my eyes but I do notice that and she gets in the car it just almost every block she just gets a little more nervous and a little more uneasy by the time we get to the freeway or she gets to the freeway rather uh, and I'm just seeing this unfold uh, she is so nervous that she is like looking for a way out and you can tell by the way she's looking at the doors, like she's thinking in her mind, I'm going to grab a door handle on this bell. But, but that would be a terrible idea, I was thinking in my head, because by this time they were flying down the interstate going pretty fast. And so she doesn't do that, but uh, she is really getting nervous. It's almost as if I'm looking at this and as if she's, she's nervous about where she's at, like the car itself is what is driving her to be, uh, you know, more worried as they go down the road. The vision was more like a movie uh, in some aspects because the one moment uh, in this, I was outside the car watching the car go by before it got on the interstates, and and I saw the license plate as the car passed. It was a black personalized tag that said fear, and it was written in bold yellow letters. By the time I get back, you know, seeing the inside of the car and, and we get on the interstate, she is just really, really almost scared, uh, to be honest, is her appearance. And she's looking at the doors, realize there's no way out. About that time, you see this sign that is across the two-lane um, interstate there that reads hopelessness a few miles, like three and a half miles away. Exit 66F. And so they're driving down, and, and you're just wondering, I'm just trying to process what would have caused her to get into this vehicle. I mean, it seems like the vehicle 
isn't where she wants to be and why she's getting more nervous. And, and I'm just wondering all of these questions and things about this. Well, I'm going to get back to uh, that uh, vision in just a moment. But that vision, especially at that point, there's just all kinds of things that were running through my mind. And I think that uh, uh, there's a lot that could be said about that in, in the passage of Scripture that God has for us today. We would, who would ever, when you think about it, who would ever get into a vehicle whose tag reads fear? That's another question I had as I wondered if she even knew what type of vehicle she was getting into. You know, does she know that the tag said that? Yet, as I started thinking about this, I just started thinking, you know, we get into those kinds of situations, those kinds of tight situations, right? Like being in a confined car all the time. Places that make you feel like you just have no way out and, and no how, nowhere to get away from. After a lot of contemplation, I started realizing that, man, there's a lot of different types of vehicles like that that we get into that, that could also have a tag that says fear. For instance, uh, a fear of an important decision. That could be a vehicle in and of itself trying to take you somewhere, but you're just really scared and apprehensive about where it's taken you. Or the fear of a heavy uh, stroke of fate, like you lose your job or uh, an illness that comes upon you. There's the fear of a sinful habit that you no longer seem to you can resist, and, and it just seems like it has enslaved you, Right? And there's all kinds of other things, the fear of disgrace, the fear of another person, the fear of dying, the fear of the future, because you, you, of just the unknown that is there. There's all kinds of fear vehicles that we seem to get into that are trying to take us a place, and maybe we're not real comfortable about where it's taken us, and no way out. Fear. You know, fear is a very lonely, terrifying vehicle to be in, don't you think? You know, there were no vehicles in the New Testament. When Jesus, is, when Jesus was walking on this earth, there were no vehicles. They didn't have a clue what Uber was. And yet, at the same time, they still had, they still had transportation that was connected with fear. And these, and these vehicles to get into, nonetheless. One is found here in Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to read this to you. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 is where we're going to start. It says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a, a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? That day they got into this boat. They had no idea what was coming their way, that there was going to be a big old storm coming. These guys, most of them are fishermen. They, they know what signs to look out for. They know what to avoid. And if they saw any 
thing like this coming, they would have, you know, brought this up to Jesus, probably encouraged not to get into it, but they didn't at all. Jesus says, hey, let's get in this boat and go to the other side. And they're just like, sure. I mean, they didn't hesitate. They didn't question it one bit. It just made me realize that most of fear happens like that. You know, most of our greatest fear that we encounter is, it just comes on us without even a moment's notice. And this might be an appropriate time for me to tell you why I'm standing where I'm standing uh, and talking to you this way again. And that is that I was called by the health department that I got a quarantine for 14 days. Dear friend of mine, and most of you know who this is already, but uh, she was supposed to have a procedure on Friday. And so that Tuesday, she had to go in and have a COVID test uh, just to make sure she didn't have it, which she was certain she didn't, obviously. I went over Wednesday, ate breakfast with her, uh, helped her with the computer, her TV, a few other things. We prayed together. We just spent some time. We, I was probably over there about two and a half hours. And uh, uh, when, or Thursday morning, she called me. She says, I, I cannot believe this, but they called and just and said that I have COVID. And uh, sh- she was shocked. I was shocked. Uh, she has no signs whatsoever, just a few signs of, like, allergies, you know, a stuffiness, but that, that's it. And uh, so then about 11.30 that morning, the, the health department called me and explained to me. I, I explained to them, you know, uh, what's going on with me, and is there a way I could take the test and then just be on with life? And she said, no, uh, that's not what they recommend at all. And so, so here I am. Uh, doing what I guess I need to do. But the reason, the biggest reason I want to share that with you is it, it illustrates what I'm trying to say. And that is that it just seems like the, our greatest fears happen to us and just without much notice. I mean, she did not expect this to happen. But how many other things are like that in life? You didn't see this coming. You didn't expect this to happen. Uh, you had no idea how to anticipate this. And all of a sudden, you're in this vehicle of fear taking you down a road you're not sure you want to go on. I remember a time when I was in school. Actually, I was just getting out of high school, going into college. And so it was in 86. And there was this big story that was on the news. And there was this guy that that, that uh, was going to fly in a plane somewhere. I don't know where. But uh, he gets into the plane. He has He sits down and... And they just talked about that he just become really nervous and agitated, and he started perspiring. I mean, the more the plane filled up and the closer that they got to take off, the more that he got just this worried look on his face. The time that they pulled away the, the ramp uh, from the, the plane, and they were fixing to close the doors or just close them, I can't remember, but he screams out like this yell, and he gets up from his seats and just darts to the front to try to exit the plane. Of course, you know, they had to call authorities, and they tried to calm him down. At the time they calmed him down, he was just trying to explain, I'm just terrified of planes, and I just thought for sure that, um, you know, this was not going to be a good idea, a good experience, and, and what have you. I don't know, but, but he tried to convince them. And, of course, you know, this was before 9-11, but uh, they still had to bring in the dogs, and they had to let everybody off the plane, and they had to search it for a bomb. Of course, there was no bomb, and eventually they, they uh, flew that plane. 
but this guy, he just embarrassed himself. And it just makes you realize that that's the power of fear. Fear can cause you to overreact, overthink. Uh, you just, and sometimes it just comes on you at a moment's notice. Fear can be crazy things to us. It can cause us to not think rationally at all. And I know that we know all of this because all of us have experienced this in one time or another. So let me finish my vision and then I'm going to give you some takeaways uh, for today. And then Sean's going to come and lead us in communion. But my vision on Tuesday morning, this lady in this car, she was showing major signs of fear. I mean, as the car was traveling down the road, she just began to sweat and just have this worry about her. Another sign came up across the the road there, and and it said, hopelessness, next exit. And so by this time, I just know that that's the destination. That's where we're going. And that exit came, and it went. And I was kind of shocked, you know, seeing this, this play out. And and this woman was shocked. And then she was like, she was confused and not sure what was going on. And then she looks up and there's this other sign that now is appearing on the road for the first time. Hope 10 miles ahead. Hope, not hopelessness, but hope. She looks in the rearview mirror and she sees these just kind, warm eyes looking back at her. And he says to her, he says, relax. He says, I have traveled down this road many a time with many a people, and we have always made it to our destination. Just relax. We will get there. We'll be there in 10 minutes. And that's the end of my vision. You know, isn't that a crazy vision? But it it speaks volumes to me as I'm studying through this passage of Scripture this week. You know, I hope it will speak to you as well. And here's some things that I think that we can take away from that vision as well as the word of God there in Luke chapter 8. And here's the first thing is, and that is, life works best when you know who is driving. And in the disciples in, the, in, the, in, Matthew, or in Luke chapter 8, life works best when you know who's in the boat with you, Right? But in my vision, it works best when you know who is driving the car that you're in. You know, they were terrified. They said, they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And the thing is, is that they knew who was in the boat, but did they really know who was in the boat? I mean, they had been walking with Jesus. They've heard his messages and his teaching I mean, they, they had seen some of his already amazing ability to heal and, and uh, to do crazy, amazing things. And yet when this happened to them, when they were in danger, they freaked out. And I just think that that's so often the case in our lives too. I mean, when we see things happen and that aren't associated with us, we just encourage people, just, just trust, just you know, have faith in God. He's going to carry you through this. But then when it happens to us, that's a different story sometimes. Just like the lady that was in the car and she just kept perspiring. Did she not know who was driving? I don't know. I, looking back at it now, I kind of think maybe she did. I mean, it's the same way with you though, right? You know that Jesus is with you. And so the first thing I think is the takeaway, just looking into God's word today and thinking about that vision that I had 
It's just that you've got to, you know, life works best when you know who is driving, when you really know his ability and who it is. Here's the second thing. And by the way, I wrote down a scripture there, and that is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God gave, gave us a spirit not of fear, but power and love and self-control. And so we just need to remember that. Here's the second thing, and that is life works best when you know where you are actually going. It works best when you know who is driving, but it also works best when you remember where you are actually going, where your destination is. In the vision, I was so confused just looking at that. You know, did she know where she was going? I mean, I I thought the whole time she thought that she was going to hopelessness instead of the town of hope, right? And I think that that's the same way with the disciples, you know, that there's just like there was this lack of confidence remembering where they were going. Who picked out the destination for them in the first place? That was Jesus. He's the one who said, let us go to the other side. He had some agenda. He had something going on there. And it's like they lacked confidence in that destination. They allowed the, the, the obstacles that came their way, which was the storm, to interfere and to start. Just like the woman allowed that sign that said hopelessness, get her thinking about something else and and bringing worry into her instead of being focused on where she was actually being taken to. You know, in in Luke chapter 8, verse 26, it says this. um, It says, Then they sailed to the country of Garrison, which is where Jesus was going, the opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land there, he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. That's where Jesus was going. He said, when he said, hey, let's go to the other side, I think Jesus already knew who he was going to meet all over there. In fact, Jesus never panicked about any situation, right? He, he never panicked about, I, I don't think he ever worried about when he got in that boat, whether he'd make it to the other side, he just knew he was. Because here's the thing about Jesus is he always knew what his destination was. He always knew that his destination was going to be the cross, that there was no way God is in charge and there's no way that God was not going to make sure that he got to that destination. So why would he fear any storm or what man can do or anything that come his way? And, and I think the same could have been said of the disciples too. If Jesus says, let's go to the other side, they should have had, they already should have had enough faith to know that Jesus was going to see it through. I think that's why Jesus said to them when he woke them up, And the storm was raging. I think when he got up and the first thing he said, he calmed it, of course. But the first thing he said to them is, oh, ye of what? Of little faith. Where's your faith? I mean, did you not know that everything is going to be okay? I mean, I told you we're going to the other side. You know, the best thing about going where Jesus instructs you to go is that you can be reassured that you're going to get there. You know, it's just like when Jesus looked in the mirror at that woman in my vision, and he just says, hey, I've been down this road many times, told many people, and we've always gotten there. Think about this, the things that Jesus has already pointed out as being a destination for you. 
I mean, if we just talk about heaven for a moment, he already has told us that that is our destination, that he went to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back and take us to be with him. That's our destination. He's going to make sure that we get there, that we see it through. And we can get all upset and stirred up about all of the obstacles and the detours along that path, but we don't have to. We can just trust in him that he's going to see us through. In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way I am going. And Thomas spoke up, and this is what he said. He said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus looked him right in the eye, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am, he's saying, I am your driver. I'm your Uber car, dude. And, and, and I am going to make sure that you get to that destination. And Jesus got him there, and he will get us there also. And all we have to do is just continue to trust. Because if he picks the destination, we can have confidence that we are going to get there. Where are you heading right now, though? I mean, you are in a car and you are in Jesus' driving, right? Isn't he? You know, wherever you're going, you just need to know that, you just need to be sure that who is driving your car. And if it's Jesus driving your car, then you just focus on the destination. And if you don't know where you're going, then you need to ask him, Lord, where are we going? First, you need to make sure he's driving your car, right? And then you ask him, Lord, where are we going? What, what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to go? And when, when you get that figured out, you can be confident he is going to make sure you arrive. You know, I don't want to go anywhere Jesus isn't driving and didn't choose for me to go. So I am just constantly in search of that. You know, God, what do you want me to do? And in conversation with him, and where is it that you want me to go? Why? Because I, I want to have confidence I don't want to be the guy in the plane that is freaking out. I don't want to be the lady in the car who is sweating and worried the whole time when there was nothing to worry about. I want to be the person that Jesus thinks we should be. Just like the disciples, he didn't understand why they are all upset. Here's the last thing. And that is, the last takeaway is that life works best when you know whom to fear. When you know him, the fear. I, I love this because the disciples, I, I love thinking about the disciples on the lake, right? They were terrified of the storm. The storm come up and they were thinking that they were going to die. And they woke him up and they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And by the time that little story is over, they are no longer afraid of the storm. They are afraid of the man who calmed the storm. And he can obey. Make, make the waves and the, the wind obey him. And they were more terrified of him than they were the storm. The storm seemed dangerous, but not like they, that he seems. You know, in Luke chapter 12, it says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after they have done nothing more, oh, wait, <laughs> let me start, start again. 
It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he goes on to say, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are of more value than the spirit. So he tells, fear God, but then fear not. And the whole thing is, is that God is somebody to fear. Jesus is somebody to fear. He's got power to throw you into hell. He's got power, but the whole thing is, is he uses his power to try to rescue you. If you'll just yield to him. Because that's how loving and caring he is. He is the guy looking in your rear view mirror with gentle eyes. Telling you that he will get you to your destination. That he has chosen for you. Yes, Jesus will judge you. But he wants to judge you by what he has done for you. And not what you have done against him. And he wants to take you to the destination he has chosen. One more passage of scripture and then I'm going to close this out. In Luke chapter 8, back to our passage of scripture for the morning. When he gets to the other side and he meets that guy that doesn't have any clothes on. And he has demons in him. The, The demons had a name, legions. Which means that there were many demons that were possessing this man. And he was living a miserable, miserable life. And when Jesus came close, the demons recognized who Jesus was. And he says, don't, they don't, I said, don't cast this out into the abyss, Lord. And uh, Jesus cast those demons out of that man and threw them into a pig. And the pigs ran over the side of a cliff and they died. And that's where I want to pick up because in verse 35 or 34 it says, Then the herdsmen saw what had happened and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in their right mind, and they were afraid. And rightly so, right? They just saw what Jesus could do. He could... Take a man who is demon-possessed and bring those demons out of him and cast them into a pig and they run off the cliff. Um, Jesus can do that? A man can do that? They were terrified of this man. And rightly so. But listen to what it goes on to say. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Huh. That's the part that is just really sad. I mean, to think that they had Jesus right there in their town, doing these amazing miracles and casting demons out. This man who has gentle eyes and, and was there to give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven and, and sure, they should have been afraid of him, but they should have been afraid in the sense they should have bowed, bowed down to him and worshipped him. But what did they do? They let that fear do the most crazy thing, and that is to send him away. And he went away. And that's what's really sad. And so I just, as I close, I just want to encourage you 
that if you're in a car and Jesus is driving, just have some boldness. Know that he is loves you and that he's going to make sure you get to a destination, but don't send him away. Just like in my vision, the lady was looking for a way out and she looked at the door and she was contemplating jumping out. I think sometimes that's the fear that comes upon us when Jesus comes into our life. And we just have to realize that we should worship him. Let that fear cause us to worship him, not to run away from him. And so here's what my conclusion to all of this. He says to that man, he, he says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And so Jesus did leave a man there to proclaim, to try to help them understand Jesus. But here's my conclusion I have for you, and that is just simply this. Life works best if Jesus is driving, right? If he is driving your car, taking you to the next destination and eventually the destination of heaven. And life works best if Jesus picks the destinations along the way. If he's the one who's in charge and you're just asking him, where do we go next? Where do we go next? And just staying focused on the destinations that are at hand and not getting distracted by the obstacles or the detour signs or the, any other signs that might distract you. And lastly, life works best if you fear Jesus more than the circumstances that are outside of the car. There's going to be things that come in our, our world just like a storm of some sort, just like the disciples. But instead of getting freaked out about the things that are outside of your vehicle, just be focused on the one who can control all of that that is actually driving your life. And just stay worshiping him with all that you have. So we're going to come to this time, and Sean's going to come up now and just lead us into communion. And we're just going to focus upon this man who is driving our car, choosing our destinations, and whom we fear more than any other circumstance in life. Love you guys. Let me pray, and then Sean will come. Father God, we uh, thank you so much that you have um, just given us the opportunity to, to have you take us where we need to go. We could not even arrive at the city of hope without you driving the car. And there's zero chance, Father, that... Uh, that we wouldn't um, be overcome by all the obstacles in our life if it wasn't for you encouraging us like this. So I just pray, Father, that you would encourage us to just hang in there with you, to just relax, and to just realize that you're going to make sure that we get there. That we just step out in faith, Father, and, and get into this vehicle that you are driving. We just love you very much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I love about reading the Bible, and, and I think it's so amazing that we have the Bible to look at and read, is we're not living in the minute of the Bible that these guys were living in as they're trying to understand what in the world is going on around them. I, I, I have compassion for the 12 disciples that were in the boat that Mike was just talking about. They're in the middle of the boat, they're in the middle of the sea, they're in the middle of the storm, and they're afraid. 
that's a good story. And it's really scary if you're in the middle of that ocean or middle of the sea, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the storm. But we get to see the whole play. We get to see the beginning and the end of these stories. And as we get the chance to look at our Bibles and study that word, we get to know the outcome. And we can see what all of it begins to mean. Warren Wisby um, passed away here not long ago. He wrote a book, um, wrote several books. But at this point, the disciples must have, he writes this, he says, the disciples must have felt like postgraduate students in the field of faith. They now understood mysteries that were hidden from the scribes and rabbis and even from the Old Testament prophets. They've been studying with Jesus. They've heard the, the, they've heard the parables. They read the Sermon on the Mount and all this. So they felt like this. What they did not realize, and we are so like them, is that faith must be tested before it can be trusted. It is one thing to learn a new spiritual truth, but quite something else to practice that truth in the everyday experiences of life. I think that's amazing. He looked at that story and he pulled that out of it. Wednesday night, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, and we're we're still crawling through the book of Hebrews. If anybody would love to join us, we'd love to have you come and, and crawl through Hebrews with us. But Wednesday night, I believe it was Georgia, said that faith is action. Faith doesn't sit still. Faith is action. Shane Wood says in his book, Between Two Trees, that faith in action, faith reaches up to heaven, and heaven reaches down in grace. And where those two meet, that becomes the thing that we do. That becomes our action, and it's our outpouring of work. Now, we also know that faith is never perfect. Even, even those who have faith fail. We have the, the perfect example in the Bible of the, the father whose son is demon-possessed, and the father goes to Jesus and he says, please, heal my son. And Jesus says, well, if you have faith, then all things are possible. And the father says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I love that. But this calming of the storm, Jesus didn't take them out of the storm. He took the chaos out of the storm itself and got rid of it. There's a beautiful picture, and I'm going to end our communion time with with this picture. In Revelation 4, 6, John is in the throne room, and he's seeing all of the, everything that's in the throne room. And he says, and he writes this, And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. When we have God, and we are standing before the throne, when we are standing before Him, we are standing with the Son, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. The storm, the chaos, is controlled. And that is what Christ did for us when he came to the cross. When he said at that last meal before he came to the cross, this is my body and blood. Take it in remembrance of me. This is to give us the opportunity to practice our faith, 
put our faith in action, trust in the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that at the time where there is chaos, and right now we have no idea what chaos even begins to look like, right? But we have Jesus Christ who has calmed that storm and we know at the end that the throne room, the floor will be a sea, but it will be absolutely still and God is in control. As we come to the table this morning, let's put our, our fear aside. Let's, as Mike said, let's put Jesus back in the driver's seat and let him give us the direction through his Holy Spirit of where we need to go. When we come to this table, let's ask him to do that. Let's ask him to take control back. And the problem is, we have to release our control. And that's the hard part. Let's put Jesus in control. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to you and to study your word, to hear it. Um, And we thank you so much for Mike's message and, uh, Lord, for just being able to work through um, technologically the frustration and chaos that this world is trying to throw at us right now that is trying to separate us from you. Lord, it will not succeed. Lord, we know that you are the truth and you are the life. And Lord, we just thank you that you sent your son to become that perfect sacrifice for us. Lord, as we bow our heads and come to this time of communion, we would just ask that you would be with us, that you would guide us and strengthen us. And it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.